0: On October 12th, in the year 2000, a small fiberglass boat guided by two suicide bombers and filled with explosives headed for the USS Cole, a guided missile destroyer, a ship that was refueling in the Aden harbor of Yemen. When the explosives were detonated, it created a 40 by 60 foot hole in the ship's port side 17 sailors died 39 were injured the sailors aboard that ship could have no idea of that that many of the little boats that were buzzing around the harbor that day that that one of them would carry out such an attack two weeks ago we came to the little 25 verse letter of Jude. And when we did, we looked at the last two verses in that great that epic doxology, that epic benediction that Jude gave and I really just wanted to encourage you with the bigness, the greatness of our of our God. I wanted to to impress you with the reality that our God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, is so able to keep every genuine Christian and so able to present every genuine Christian faultless before God in that final day with eternally great and incredible joy. And I hope that your mind is set on that. I hope that your mind is set on the great glory, the great grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, And you know... It came to me that 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 those two verses probably really hit at the heart of what Jude had originally intended to write. You remember that he began his letter saying, I, I intended to write to you regarding the common salvation that that we we enjoy. I think that's really why he began to take up his pen. Jude verse three says, I wrote to you, I was going to write to you about our common salvation, but While that was his desire, he found himself instead compelled to write and and to call his readers to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You see, he wanted them not just to be prepared for the possibility of a covert attack on the faith, but he wanted them to enter the fray. He wanted them to enlist, to actually defend the faith. Why? Why? Because there were already those who had crept into the church without being noticed who were intent on destroying the faith of the gospel. The reality is, friends, that there are plenty of those in our world today who are absolutely committed to torpedoing the gospel and to sink the faith of everyone who has, who has heard it. And they will stop at nothing to detonate a spiritual IED to try and blow a hole in the truth. And what we are called to do is we're called to enter the fray. We're called to enlist, if you will. We're called to contend for the faith, to defend for the faith. Or I can say it this way, we're called to stand up for Jesus when everyone else is sitting down. And I can't help but to remember the words of that great hymn, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory his army shall he lead. Till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. And you might be asking the question, well Joe, what does it look like to contend for the faith? What does it look like for me to be a contender? What do I do if I'm going to enlist, if I'm going to join the fray? And in order to do that, I want to show you this morning, I want to direct your attention to Jude verses 17 through 23. And I want to show you there that there are three essential characteristics of the one who contends for the faith three essential characteristics of a contender, three essential characteristics of someone who enlists in this sacred honor, this, this sacred duty to be a defender. Of the faith. What are those three characteristics? Simply this. One, they remember. Two, they remain. And three, they rescue. They remember, they remain, and they rescue. We'll see this very clearly in our text this morning. Let me read for you, beginning in Jude, verse 17. But you must remember, beloved... Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now let's look together at these three characteristics of anyone who contends. Who is to be known as a contender of the faith. In verses 17 and 19 we see the first characteristic. And that's what we're saying they remember, and you see it very clearly there, verse seventeen, but you must remember. Now, I think it's interesting that word "but" shows a bit of a, of a of a contrast between what he has said and what he's now getting ready to say. He really started most of his letter has been spent, verses three to verse sixteen has been spent characterizing those who are trying to 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 destroy the faith, those false teachers. He's just spent most of his letter doing that. He called us to contend for the faith, but never did he tell us what it looks like. It, he waits until he gets to verse 17. But that's their characteristics. Now here are your characteristics. But you must remember. Now I just want to point out that word must because it's indicating something. It's used to indicate there, there is the, the, the presence of an imperative. It's used to indicate the presence of an imperative. It's used to indicate the presence of a command. This is is an apostolic command. This is handed down to, or we could say, a divine command. He says you must remember. It is imperative, if you were to be a contender of the faith, that you remember. Remember what? Well, Jude says, you should remember the predictions of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. What predictions? Well, Jude says, you should remember that they said to you in the last time, now remember last time, that's referring to the, the time period between the ascension of Christ and His second coming. In the last time, we can say very confidently that we are in the last time, we are in the end days, right? In fact, we are much closer than even those who were writing here in the book of Jude. This is something you see throughout the New, the, the New Testament. There is a constant reminder throughout the New Testament of the reality that in the last time there will be scoffers. There will be mockers. Paul said in Acts chapter 20, I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. He tells us again in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 1 that the Spirit of God expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. In that long uh, excerpt in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he says, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And then he gives these 21 characteristics of the times of difficulty, the, 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 the fierce, the ferocious, the, the difficult days. 2 Timothy 3, he says, evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse. 2 Timothy 4, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. All of those things are clear, not to mention the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. And all those things are true, but those are not the things specifically that Peter has, that Jude has his mind on. What Jude specifically has in mind are the words of Peter in his epistle, 2 Peter. In fact, he quotes directly from that, that epistle. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Peter says this. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And then in chapter 3, verse 3, the verse that actually Jude quotes, he says this. 2 Peter 3, verse 3. You might just want to write that in the margin of your Bible there because that's exactly what Jude has in mind. He says, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, Following their own sinful desires. I want you to remember, Jude says it's it's imperative, you must remember that there has been this divinely dictated reality, this divinely predicted reality that in the last days there will come people who will be scoffers and mockers. What are they scoffing? What are they mocking? Would you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3 for just a moment? Because this is exactly what Jude has in mind. And, and, and notice, 2 Peter Peter is intent on reminding. Chapter 1, verse 15, he says, I'm going to do everything I can to give you a reminder. Chapter 3, verse 1, by way of reminder. Chapter 3, verse 2, that you should remember. You should remember the predictions, not just of the holy Apostles, but he says of the holy prophets. You should remember those predictions. What was laid out? Well, that there will come scoffers. Look what they're going to do. Verse 3 Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, Here's what they're going to scoff about, here's what they're going to mock. Where is the promise of his coming? They're going to say, you're telling us that Jesus is coming again. Where is it? Where is he? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, he goes on, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They're scoffing. They're mocking about the the reality that Jesus is coming again. They're trying to blow a hole in the truth. They're trying to get you off the, the, the track. They're trying to get you off the rail of the gospel. Now, Jude says that they're going to come, they're not only going to be scoffing, but they're going to be sensual. He says they, they're coming following their own ungodly passions. They're just doing whatever comes into their mind. In fact, Jude earlier says that you know what they do? Instead of following the Word of God, they actually follow their dreams. You've got to be careful when you hear somebody teaching who starts talking about their dreams that they have, that they receive this revelation from God, right? Right? They're, they're, they're scoffing. They're sensual. They cause divisions. That's the idea that they're separate. They're, the idea that they they stand above people and look at others and think that they're, that they're uh, superior. Look at me. The, 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 they're kind of elitists, right? And he says they're without the spirit. They're without the spirit. They're scoffers. They're, they're sensual. They're separate. And they're spiritless. They have nothing. Though they, Paul says they give the outward appearance of godliness, there is no inward what? Power. And, and Jude says, you gotta remember this. You gotta remember this. So the question is: how does that help us to contend for the faith? How does that help us to contend for the faith? Well, remember what Peter is doing in his second epistle. He gives these warnings here. He gives these warnings, writing under divine inspiration, he gives these these warnings, and he tells them this. You've got to remember, I'm predicting this, I'm telling you these things were predicted, which tells us what? Those scoffers are coming in, and they're mocking, and they're scoffing about the promise of God. But it tells you this, their scoffing and their mocking does not derail or destroy the promise of God. See what happens? Oftentimes in in difficult days, we kind of get a woe is me sort of mentality. We kind of get a woe is me sort of mentality and, and think that there maybe have some, there must have been some mistake. There must have been some oversight. Maybe God somehow forgot about us. Did God leave us here by mistake? Is God taken by surprise about all these things that are happening in our midst today? Is God taken by surprise about all these things that are happening in our world today? And what God says is absolutely not. I am not taken by surprise. In fact, I told you it was going to be this way. You see, our temptation is to tuck away somewhere and hide and ignore what's happening. Go live in a little commune somewhere, but God says that scoffers, mockers, will certainly come. They will be scoffing about the faith. They will be mocking the faith and trying to discredit the faith. And one of the critical elements to you standing up for Jesus when everyone else is sitting down is to remember the the warnings that were given by divine inspiration. Don't you forget it. Don't you forget it. When you remember that the apostles said the scoffers would come, you've got to also remember that they're going to be scoffing at the promise of God. And what's the promise of God? To return, listen, and to bring judgment to those who deserve judgment and to bring uh, eternal life for those who are His own. That's exactly what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3. The reason that you are to remember this is what Peter says, since all these things are true, what does he say? What kind of people ought you to be? Since all these things are true, what kind of people ought you to be? People of holiness and godliness and righteousness. If you are going to contend for the faith, you've got to remember, listen, you are not here by accident. You've not been put here. You've not, you, you, you don't stay here on this earth to, to go live in a little commune somewhere. You don't come here, you don't stay here in order to make your life cushy. You are in a war. And you are called to contend earnestly. You are called to defend the faith. To enter the fray. To enlist. And in order to do that, you remember. You don't forget the divine warnings. But not only are you to remember, you are to remain. Look back now at Jude again, and we'll come back to verse 20. But you, notice that, but you, verse 17, verse 20, but you, beloved, but you, beloved, verse 17, but you, beloved, verse 20. And now I want you to notice here, there is one great overarching, overriding command in these two verses, and there are three supporting statements. For you, if you're a grammarian, there's one imperative and three participles. A participle is a verbal adjective. It it describes the verb. The main focus of verses 20 and 21, the main verb, the main command, the imperative is verse 21. Keep yourselves, literally remain in the love of God. That's the imperative, that's the focus, that's the main thought of these verses as one of the main elements in our responsibility to contend for the faith. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Remain in the love of God. One commentator said this, Jude was asking his readers consciously to keep themselves in God's love like a doctor telling his patients, keep yourself In the sunshine. They must, he says, they must be alert to keep anything from clouding their consciousness of his love. Now, just look for a moment at that imperative. Verse 21 Keep yourselves in the love of God. That word keep could maybe be better translated with the word guard. I think, in fact, that hits more at the heart of what Jude is saying. Guard yourselves, guard yourselves in or with the love of God. What that's telling us, friends, is this. That the love of God is to be the contender's refuge in these dangerous and difficult days. You are to guard yourself in the love of God. The love of God, listen, is to be your conscious abode. It is to be the realm in which you live and have your being. You were to always think about and walk about and talk about in light of the love of God in Christ Jesus for you, which has been lavishly, according to Romans chapter 5, which has been lavishly poured out in your heart through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm saying this, to be a contender, to be one who defends the faith, you must have a sense of of this this compelling and constraining love of Christ. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for just a moment? Because there's a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This, the love of God in Christ, is what, infused the Apostle Paul with such an unction that he was able to stand up when everyone else was sitting down. This is what constrained him. The love of God in Christ is what compelled him. He might say, We might say the love of God in Christ is what controlled him. Look at verse 14. He says it here in plain black and white. Four, this is 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, the Apostle Paul had this sense that he could go about his ministry in spite of the attacks against him and in spite of the attacks against the gospel. Listen, because he judged, he figured this way, he calculated this way, that Christ loved a people and that Christ gave himself for a people such that when Christ died, they died. In other words, he lived in such a way that was so controlled by the love of God in Christ that he realized that Jesus actually paid the price for all who would believe. And friends, that's what gave him the unction to continue on. He wasn't fighting a losing battle. He understood that God actually accomplished the work of atonement for all he intended to save. Jesus died on the cross, listen... Jesus died on the cross, and he was not dying to make atonement a possibility, but Jesus was dying on the cross to make atonement a reality, an actuality. And that reality comes to bear on the lives of those who hear and believe the gospel, which is why Paul says later in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 My role in all of this, my role is just as an ambassador. His ambassador. It's as if God is making His appeal to His people through those who minister the gospel. And that's what controlled Him. That's what constrained Him. The love of God in Christ so compelled Him that He entered the fray. So guard yourselves. Guard yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That doesn't mean that you do things to get yourself out of the love of God. It means that the strength and refuge and motivation for you to stand when everyone else is sitting down is the reality not only of the love of God in Christ for you, but listen, the love of God in Christ for all who will come to Him. How do you do that? How do you guard? How do you keep yourselves in the love of God? Well, Jesus said, abide in me. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, he said in John 15, 9 and 10, you will abide in my love. Now, Jude mentions, as I said, now go back to Jude for a moment. Jude mentions three supporting statements, three descriptive phrases that help to to flesh out this idea of keeping yourselves or guarding yourselves in the love of God, taking refuge in the love of God. How do you do it? He uses these three participles. They're identified by the ING words, the ING words in 20 through 21. Building, praying, waiting. Building, praying, and waiting. The first thing he says is you keep yourself in the love of God by building yourselves up in the most holy faith. Literally, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith. And that's exactly, again, Jude has his finger in 2 Peter as he's writing this. And that's exactly what Peter called his readers to do in chapter 2, verses 1, in, in chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. He said, Make every effort. Brothers and sisters, make every effort. To add to your faith, literally to supplement your faith, to take your faith and then add to it. Add to it what? He says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, add to it virtue, things like virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. We're talking about adding these kinds of things to your faith, brothers and sisters, if you really want to stand up for Jesus when everyone else is sitting down, you have got to keep the love of God as your refuge. And that means you've got to take responsibility for your own spiritual maturity. You've got to take responsibility to grow up spiritually. And I want to tell you something. This means a whole lot more than sitting down and reading a theology book. It is that. But it's a whole lot more than sitting down and reading a theology book. It means adding things that are virtuous to your life. And adding things which are honorable to your life. And that increase your discernment and your knowledge. And and add in self-control and sprinkle in patience and godly living. And then love for the brothers in the church. And love for God and for others in general. What he's talking about here is building your character. You keep yourselves in the love of God. You guard yourself in the refuge of God's love by building yourself up in in your most holy faith. By not just keeping faith, but keeping faith as the foundation for your life and adding these kinds of things to it. But not only that, not only is it an issue of our character, it's also an issue of our communion. He says, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You see, not only does your character help you to find refuge in the love of God, but your communion helps you to find uh, refuge in the love of God. Praying in the Holy Spirit. That means praying under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's not referring to some heavenly language. Don't let those folks tell you that. It's not referring to that at all. This isn't some kind of heavenly language or prayer language. It's certainly not praying. In some kind of supposed tongue, it is referring to praying as guided by the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians chapter six verse eighteen that this is a, a matter of our spiritual battle in which we are engaged, and he 's not talking about praying one specific prayer. he's saying, in fact, in Ephesians chapter six verse eighteen, he says, all kinds of praying, not one specific prayer it's lots of prayers that are prayed under the influence of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means praying in accord with or as instructed by the Word of God. Your communion with God as you are led by the Holy Spirit. And we're not talking about some mystical, subjective experience here. We're talking about the objective measure of the Word of God. That's how you commune with God. You pray as you're instructed in the Scriptures. We say, Joe, what do you mean? I say, it means this, don't pray for things that are contrary to the revealed will of God. And not only that, don't pray in a way that is contrary to the revealed will of God. Praying with sin in your heart, praying with an unrepentant, proud, or in an unrepentant, proud, and haughty manner would qualify as a spirit-less prayer, not a spirit-filled prayer. You will be in constant communion with your loving Heavenly Father in this kind of praying. We say, well, how do I do that? How do I pray? How do I commune with God with these Spirit-filled prayers? Well, let me just tell you this. Start with the Lord's Prayer. Just start there. Start, I'm not just saying say the words and and just get out of rote memory, but I'm saying use the Lord's Prayer as a guide to help you to pray. Let God instruct you how He expects you to pray. And just follow that through. Let that be an outline. And then learn to see the commands of Scripture as things for which you ought to pray. Oh God, I would pray this way. Help me to keep in mind the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ that scoffers will come so that I'm not knocked off base, and I'm not, I don't have this kind of idea that somehow I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. You keep yourselves in the love of God by building yourselves up, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. You keep yourselves in the love of God by praying in the Holy Spirit and you keep yourselves in the love of God by, listen, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. Verse 20. Keep waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That is to say that there is such an anticipation in your life. You are anticipating. Listen, when Jesus comes again, you are not anticipating his judgment, but instead you are anticipating his mercy. You are anticipating the mercy of Christ that when He returns and He will usher you into His eternal inheritance. Paul said, He will come again for all those who love His appearing. Do you love the appearing of Christ? Do you long for the appearing of Christ? Do you anticipate His mercy when He comes? That He is going to shower His mercy on you saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I tell you, that's how you guard yourself with the love of God. You live in such a way as to look forward to the unimaginable privilege of being the one who will stand in the mercy of Christ when He comes. Your whole life will be shadowed by the love of God. The bright, brilliant shadow, I can say, of the love of God. As you build yourself up in your faith. You add to your faith. You, you, you speak of your character character. You you pay attention to your communion and you look forward to the grand consummation of eternal life. That's what a contender is. I tell you, a contender remembers and a contender remains. You say faithful, faithful, faithful. But lastly, contenders, they rescue. They rescue. He says that in verses 22 and 23. So far... We've been talking about what almost seems to be defensive measures of a contender. Now, in these last two verses here, 22 and 23, we're going to be getting into the more offensive measures that a contender takes. The people who stand for Jesus, what everyone else is sitting down, those people are committed to rescuing sinners. I might summarize it this way by saying, we are called to be divine agents of mercy. Remember that song we used to sing? Fanny Crosby? Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them. This 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 song comes right from Jude uh, 22 and 23. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep or the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty, to save. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Praise the Lord. Jesus will save. And that's what contenders do. They rescue. Contenders don't sit back on their laurels. Contenders don't wait for someone else. Contenders are involved in the fray. Contenders enlist in the battle. Who do we rescue? Well, he mentions three types of people. We rescue those who are confused by. Those who are confused by false teaching. Those who are confused by error. Notice what he says. Have mercy. There's the imperative. There are three imperatives here in verses 22 through 23. Have mercy. That's an imperative on those who doubt. Those are the confused. We're to show mercy to those who are doubting, to those who are just confused by everything that's going on, everything that they hear. And listen, there are so many people like that in our world today. You don't hold them in derision and look down on them because they're confused, because they're doubting. You hold them with, with compassionate mercy. And what does it mean to rescue those who are confused by error? Brothers and sisters, it has to mean this that we pray for them. Of course, it means that we pray for them. It's got to mean that we minister the love of God to them. It's got to mean that we take the word of God to them patiently and with great pity. It means that we take actual responsibility for people who are confused in our world today by error. And we make that the message and the heartbeat of our lives, not just as a as, as individuals, but as a church. And not just as a church, but individually. We rescue those who are confused by error. Secondly, we rescue those who are caught up in error. Another imperative, verse 23, save. See that command? Save others by snatching them out of the fire. What Jude is saying, friends, is that there are those who are caught up in the fire right now. They're caught up in the fray of a false gospel. And we are to have the mindset that we are snatching them out of the fire. Brothers and sisters, there is a sense here in which I believe many of us just don't get this. And I'm bringing this to you as a brother in Christ. And I'm bringing this to you as one charged for the shepherding care of your soul. Often, when I ask someone about their witness for Jesus Christ, There seems to be a lack of genuine urgency and a feeling of heartfelt pity. Today we hear about living our lives as a witness for Christ. You've heard that, you know, the statement before, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And maybe that's good insofar as we can take it. But what has become... Of clear and continual gospel preaching? What has become of clear and continual gospel preaching? To those who are nearest hell? The old evangelists used to pray to a sovereign God. God save the soul. That's nearest hell. Where's that kind of praying today? Where's that kind of gospel preaching? The kind That, yes, is fueled by the glory of God, but the kind that feels the heat of the flames of hell lapping at the souls of the lost. We, friends, have got to have a sense of the seriousness, the eternal seriousness of this situation. I hope that none of us would sit idly by if we saw somebody's house going up in flames. We would remain in some kind of unmoved and cold state and say, oh, look, a fire. I hope that we will not be cold and unmoved when we consider the fire of the false gospel that is being held there of those who are and holding people in eternal uh, uh, damnation. We don't contend for the faith. We cannot contend for the faith when we fail to grasp the eternal torment that awaits those who are outside of faith in Christ. Let me say this clearly today. If you're here today and you are outside of faith in Christ, You are damned for, you are headed for, destined for, eternal torment in hell. See the seriousness of the situation. Understand that, brothers and sisters. We're not just playing games. The only rescue for those is the refuge of God and the person and work of Jesus Christ. He alone paid the price for the eternal wrath of God in the place of everyone who will believe. That's why He died on the cross. And we must have a sense that our work, the very reason we are here, is to be ambassadors for Christ. Snatching. That word snatching is the same word that Paul uses to speak of the rapture of the church. The catching away of the church. Snatching them from the fire. The Bible tells us that, 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 that the error is the fire and that is holding them for eternal fire. We've got to take it seriously. Listen, Revelation 20 verse 15. If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown, what? Into the lake of fire. We've got to rescue those who are confused by error. We've got to rescue those who are caught up in error. Thirdly, we rescue those. Another imperative here. Who are committed to error. Verse 23. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Now this to others. Here's the imperative. Show mercy with fear. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. There are actually those who are committed to error. Those who are fully engaged in their sin and they are just rebellious and they are callous toward the gospel. And amazingly, he doesn't say write them off. He says rescue them. But this, friends, requires great care you ought to have such a holy hatred for sin which comes because you have such a great fear of God that you despise sin. There should be a merciful hatred of that sin. You hate it so much so that you do not become entangled in it. That is, so that you don't just start reasoning for or, or justifying sin, but rather you have pity on that one who is in grave danger of hellfire. You don't become wrapped up in that sin and and, and become an apologist for that sin. You don't begin to participate in that sin in order to win them somehow. No, you keep calling them out. You keep calling them to repent and to believe the gospel. And you keep praying and praying and you weep for them before the Lord. The Edmund Hebert said this, Christians cannot be merely indifferent to such men nor avoid them with a holier-than-thou attitude. With a deep feeling of compassion for them, they are to act helpfully toward them as opportunity affords. But they must ever be careful not to be brought under the power of the deadly contamination that clings to the practices and surroundings of such individuals. I'll tell you what a contender does. A contender rescues. Rescues the confused and by error. Rescues... Those who are caught up in error error, rescues those who are committed to error. We're to be standing. Not sitting. We're to be standing, brothers and sisters, when everyone else is sitting down. Everyone else is is, is, is set on blending in. We're set on standing out. We're to be contenders for the faith. The faith that has been handed down from the prophets and the apostles. We are defenders of that faith. And that's what this looks like. Remembering. Listen. You're not here by accident. God didn't put you here to give you a nice cushy life. He put you here as an ambassador for Christ. We're to be remaining in the love of God. Keeping ourselves in the love of God as we grow up. Peter would say, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we're to be actively rescuing. Again, let me plead with you, if you're here today, and you've never repented of your sin, you've never confessed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in your place, was buried, and three days later rose again, just as the Bible says, if you've never confessed your sin and put your faith and trust in that Lord Jesus Christ, would you do it today? Would you turn today? Repent today, right now, right where you're seated. Repent in your heart. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I'm in danger of hellfire. I've seen it clearly. Tell Him that. And turn and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's so many things when it comes to applying this that I thought about. and Maybe you just need to take some time today to, to sit in quietness and think about what kind of application you are going to make to your life as a result of this text. But I think about us as a church. It's this kind of text that makes us take church discipline seriously. we're not playing. We're seeking to, to win souls. We would be disobedient if we didn't take church discipline seriously. And I know we all know a better way and we say, but what if, but, what?" But, but. Listen, do we come, do we remember what God says or do we go our own way? As individuals, so many points of application, but maybe we can start with the recognition that you and I have been appointed for such a time as this. Now is not the time for you to sit back and curl up somewhere and hide. Now is the time for you to join the battle. After the bombing of the USS Cole and then the subsequent attack on the United States in September eleventh, 2001, And one, nearly 200,000 individuals enlisted to serve in the armed services because of those attacks. Today, we need people to enlist. To, To give yourself to these things. There are boats buzzing around the harbor filled with explosives all around us. Give yourself. To remember. Give yourself to remain. And give yourself to rescue. Make it more personal. Maybe write down in your notes because of, and then write somebody's name in there. Because of this person, I'll remember. Because of this person, I'll remain. Because of this person, I'll rescue. Now is not the time to try to build ourselves up with a cushy life. Amen? Now's the time to live for Christ. Now's the time to contend earnestly for the faith. Let's pray.